They were on the verge of a major climate disaster, and there's a whole page about teeth whitening. It's a miracle the human race survived. We are blasting off with another Orville Land. It's our weekly look at the little TV show that could. It's the Orville. My name is Dan Barrett, and I'm joined here by a panel of regular Orville villains. We have, as always, Lieutenant Shelley Peacock. Hello there. And begging for a promotion, but quite frankly, he hasn't put in the work to get it. It's Ensign Sitchama. I've got so much to give. <laughs> so and much yet, you've give. never really demonstrated at all that you're willing to give up. I feel like sometimes talented people just get by on the minimum effort, and uh, actually, our talent is a crutch. Yeah, I mean, I see my talent as something which I've gotten by on a minimal effort, but. I've got the looks to really get over huh. the line. Rawr. <laughs> That's true. It's why we're doing radio. I didn't mean, no, I wasn't. Oh, I Shelley wasn't. Peacock. You're a very handsome gentleman. Oh, Shelly Peacock. <laughs> I thought it was the sexual tension that existed between the two of us that propelled our That's friendship. That's why you brought me in here, right? And that's exactly it. But now I learn it was just a fraud, a sham to get onto a podcast. And now your true feelings have come out. <laughs> I'm blushing. Um, I wanted to know how I... Why is she I... blushing? Because I unveiled her as the fraud she is. It's because now Shelly has red hair. Just red all over, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know how Tommy. I'm the lieutenant and uh, citizen ensign. Because you put in the work. Ah, oh, that's right. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah. And what are you, Dan? Uh, well, I'm captain. Of course. Yeah, I feel this ship needs a mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't disagree. However, because Shelley puts in the work, something she does every week is write up a little synopsis <laughs> as to what happened on the show. Shelley Peacock, please do us the honour. What happened this week on the Orville? After a 2015 time capsule is unearthed... We are looking at an actual human life, nearly 400 years gone. Two love affairs begin on board the Orville. Lieutenant Gordon Malloy falls for a recorded video of a long-dead but beautiful millennial... Hey, what's up, future people? ...while Bordas discovers a love that will last an eternity. I have never experienced such a flavour. He starts smoking cigarettes. Which of these love affairs will endure? <laughs> what a love affair. <laughs> oh, addiction. I yeah. guess, I guess. Yeah, more of an addiction, I guess. Isn't, isn't love the ultimate drug? Ooh, that's deep, man. Yeah. I don't think I can continue, guys. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Look, that's fair. <laughs> he well, has so taken head, his headphones off. Headphones He's are out. down. <laughs> no, headphones back on. We're okay. <laughs> so, guys, I guess maybe the big question in the room, cigarettes... Have any of us partaken and been a regular addicted cigarette smoker? A partaken? Definitely never been a regular. No. No. Yeah. I actually don't know how to inhale it. I get mocked when I attempt, which is very rare. Mm. But um, I just see it, can't seem to get it into the lungs. It's just like in my mouth and then I cough and it's just not an enjoyable experience. Don't smoke, kids. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely don't materialise 500 at once. <laughs> that's just a bad idea. And then hide them yeah. all throughout the house. Mostly in a cushion. Yeah. <laughs> Personal experience? Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so guys, we've got this episode of The Orville here. It was called Lasting Impressions. Uh, we've got a guest star here who's not really a cameo. This is just a straight-out guest star. Hmm. Uh, Leighton Meester, who people may know from a little show called Gossip Girl. Leighton Meester? Is it Leighton? Leighton. Leighton? Leighton? I'm not sure. I... Cassius. Cassius? Cassius. Cassius. Is it, is it Cassius or is it Cassius? Cassius. Uh, she's from Gossip Girl, right? I'm not mixing up my teen shows. No, she is, yeah. yeah. And? Much like other regular Orville star, Jessica Cassius? Cassius. <laughs> Listen, Cassius. Cassius. Damn. Uh, Jessica Shaw. Hmm. Is that is how sure? you say her last name? I've, I'm guessing. All right. Yeah, a little bit of a Gossip Girl reunion here. Yeah, I thought the two would have a scene together. 
Oh my gosh, they didn't, did they? No. And there's a scene like towards the end where, I mean, they were in the same scene, uh, but they're playing uh, charades. Yep. Charades? Cassius. Cassius. Ha! Shut up, man. They're playing charades <laughs> and they're all on the couch and uh, the security officer whose name is... Tala. Tala. She's dressed very oddly. Like, she's clearly mm. going for, like, Earth Girl of a specific era. That was a hipster Tala, and I was kind of into it. Yes. But, look, I was very into it. But <laughs> I thought maybe this is how she dressed in Gossip Girl, and I thought it was, like, a sly nod to that. Oh. Not the case at all. No. No. Did you look it up? Oh, I looked it up. Oh. <laughs> I put in the research and the work in this hip And that's why you're captain. That's exactly it. And why I'm Enzin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've got this episode. It's a... Uh, like an interesting one in mm. that it raises some very interesting sort of moral quandaries. Okay. Yep. I was particularly really questioning the ethics of creating this woman's life from the various recordings that we have of her. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, then deleting her boyfriend, which in Gordon's context would be murder. It would Ooh. be. Yeah, because he did say, no, if she is real, she is real, which by extension, by logical extension, means he's real. And if he deletes him from the program, he's killed him. That's heavy, man. I know it seems real, but it's not. Man. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> You're too bringing early, the tone down. Too early yeah, in the yeah. podcast to get into this. <laughs> okay, but we so will get there. We will. So the episode begins with the crew of the Orville being shown a time capsule that had been recently unearthed. I don't know why they had unearthed this time capsule on the planet of Earth and taken it all the way to the other side of space. Uh-huh. They could take a look at it. But they did. Can I'm we sure just talk about what was in the time capsule? Because I freezed it. Okay, and so looked you've at got everything. a list. I do have a list. Okay, because all I remember seeing was strawberry Oreos. Yeah. Yes, there was a box of Oreos. Mm. There was also thongs, a pair of reading glasses. Wait, sorry, when you say thongs, do you mean Australian footwear? Oh, yes, sorry, Australian footwear. Yeah, we do have some American (laughs) listeners, so they may be slightly confused. Ah, yes. You call them flip-flops, guys. Mm. We call them thongs. Thongs. Yeah, there was a newspaper. There was also an X-Men t-shirt. And if What's, what sort of X-Men? Like the movies or the well, comics? The the movie, I believe. And it was rolled up in a way that I couldn't see which film, so I double-checked. So if the time capsule was from 2015, it was potentially First Class or Days of Future Past. Wow, you do deserve to be a lieutenant. Oh, thank you. I did some research. Put in the work. This is incredible. <laughs> so something from then. There was Oreos. There was toothpaste. Then it was like hand sanitizer. Wait, sorry. What sort of toothpaste? Was it like regular toothpaste oh, it was or was it like regular, a whitening? I think it was whitening, actually. Mm. Yeah, it was like a red tube. Yeah. It was a uh, pretty, <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like pretty crappy stuff. I'm like, is this really what you would put in a time capsule to best represent that time in your era? Yeah, you know you, what? I you, think it is. Yeah, you're yeah? putting the most mundane things right. the, the like, quotidian. It is very, very mundane. Because it's the things that surround your life. This is true. Because they all seem pretty impressed by them. Mm. They love that Yankees hat as well. And uh, The one thing that I found surprising, at least in terms of the idea of how I feel the future would operate to what it does as depicted within the show, is that they've got the iPhone. Mm-hmm. They don't really know how to get stuff off it. Which, fair enough, like, if you gave me an iPhone 3, I don't have the data cable for that anymore. No. <laughs> I don't know how to get stuff off that thing. Okay, they can't do that. But they also seem to have, like, no real knowledge as to what was happening within that era. No. Like, they just seemed a little bit confused by it, which yeah. is weird because... It was just, only 400 years in the past. It was only 400 years. Plus, also, they've played a lot of music from, yeah. you know, yeah. our era and before. And the movies, and, they're all across the, the And classics. the simulator had, like, yeah. the 40s room in it. And, I've, yeah, so, that kind of got me as well. Was that was a bit weird. Yeah. But taking the idea of that, just that face value, like, I kind of feel as though we live in such an information-rich age right now 
surely, like, we're not going to be losing a lot of this information. Like, we do have certain bits of information that leak over time. Yep. But, like, for an entire sort of cultural understanding to disappear, I find a little strange. Mm, this is true. I know, it was kind of like when I was going through some junk closets the other day and I found all these CD-ROMs and USBs and, yeah, old phones. I was like, I have no way to access this. And I thought at the time, 10 years ago, transferring all my photos onto CD-ROMs and CDs and whatever, I was like, yes, I'm being real clever. Mm. Storage for the new age. I'm like, well, I'm just going to snap these discs now because I don't actually have anything. They're gone. You should have buried them for (laughs) a future space race to find. And then someone would fall in love with me in the future, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Maybe. I don't know. It can happen in the present, Shelley. Just saying. Don't give up. Oh, he's hoping. (laughs) I very much have a boyfriend. Hey, (laughs) if you're listening, I don't think he is. Oh, he doesn't exist. (laughs) Dan deleted him from the simulator. (laughs) Well, she was so flirty previously. Data has been deleted. So they've got the iPhone. They get a whole bunch of information from her. Now, this is the thing that I thought was actually fairly feasible which is the idea that if you get enough information of a person from their personal device, so there's video of her talking, so we know how she moves, we know how she sounds. Mm -hmm. There's information about who you can derive from just one video of that. There's probably plenty of videos of her. So you've got that, you've got her various personal text messages, you've probably got a browser search history. There's all sorts of stuff you can gleam about a person to paint a fairly full picture as to what that person's all about. Because the thing with a mobile phone is it captures a lot of people's full interests and beliefs in a way that when you're presenting to the world, so if you just went by someone's Instagram feed, for example, mm. you see a certain sense of them, but you don't really sense their get their true self. Yeah, it's a very curated. Yeah. Because you don't see them searching for, you know, I've got a weird mole on my, you know, <laughs> on my ankle. Like, what's that yeah. about? Yeah. Like, you don't see that information in a person's Instagram no. feed, but that's on their phone. Mm-hmm. It's in your Google search history. Yeah. yeah. So basically they got, uh, what was her name? Laura? Laura Huggins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Laura they got, Huggins. They got her big data, essentially. Yeah. The yeah. total unrestricted access to her life. Ooh. And so with that information and presumably with other information I've pulled in from the era, they were able to paint a pretty full picture of what she is so that when Malloy is creating this simulation of her, it's a fairly full representation. Now, we don't know for sure that this actually is truly representative of her life because if you got the real Laura Huggins to appear in the scene with the simulated Laura Huggins, maybe they're actually really quite different people. Well, maybe. But I guess what the simulator did do is it did taken a lot from her text because the simulator sort of progressed over time and it showed her breaking up with her boyfriend, uh, Greg, Mm -hmm. and it showed her getting back together with her boyfriend, Greg, and Malloy, who thought he had a chance in the middle there, didn't realise that if he'd read the text, he'd, you know, Greg gets back in the picture. So Mm. the simulator did a good job at recreating basically the basic trajectory of her life, at least. Now, I've written a couple of notes here, and we've got the opening scene with... (laughs) (laughs) They've got the iPhone, and so they're trying to work out how to power it on. And so you've got a conversation happening between Lamar and Yaffert. All I've written for this, though, is turned on by Lamar and (laughs) Yaffert. And it was very late at night. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, boy. I mean... But also... That's another one to ship, I guess. Yes, very much so. (laughs) Yeah. Moving on. I didn't mention that the cigarettes were in... The time capsule. So that was the other kind of mundane thing. Yeah. Did we get a brand of that at all? Ooh, I no. presume not. No, plain packaging, Unbrand- 400 yep. years in the future, man. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even come in a box. But also, I mean, it's from 2015. I was wondering if we got like a fake cigarette packet, like a packet of Morley's, which are oh. regularly used in shows. Oh, really? No, I didn't notice. I'll have mm. to rewatch. 
But uh, yeah, that's when Boris first came across and he found the aroma interesting. The odor is very interesting. I also love Clayton in this episode. That he also took up the smoking Yeah, as well. but I think this was like his funniest episode. He hasn't really been given much room to breathe in that kind of area. He's kind of been the straight guy to Bordas's, even though Bordas is very much a straight talking guy as well. But, you know, Clayton actually was quite funny this episode. Bordas, I must have a cigarette. No, we agreed. I do not care. The urge is too strong. Yeah, yeah, you got to see Clayton be funny. But, mm. I mean, up till now I found him annoying. Really? And I still find him annoying. No. I, I just feel like that relationship has to end. I if can't. Doomed. Oh, I really yeah. hope it doesn't. It's ugh, it's just too real, that one. Yeah. yeah. But they seem to grow a strong bond over the cigarettes in yes. this episode. <laughs> and as we always say, the couple that smokes together stays together. <laughs> yes, until one of them gets emphysema and Ooh, dies a horribly cruel yeah. death. Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. I think one of the funniest shots was seeing Clyden like, in the airlock, just having a little smoke break. <laughs> <laughs> They were very expert smokers straight yeah. off the go. I mean, the way Bordas was doing that thing where you like kind of let a little bit of air out and then you just suck that smoke back in looks real pro. I mean, so good. I thought it was kind of cool, yeah. I, but I'm a very impressionable young ensign. So. <laughs> the thing I thought was a little bit strange about the smoking is that Bordas always struck me more as a vaping kind of a guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I just don't quite get what it is about cigarettes that draws him in so. Mm. It's toasted. I get it. So Mocklins are highly susceptible to nicotine. I mean, so so are humans, human people. Mm-hmm. But more so than anyone else on the ship? Like, what makes the Mocklins so susceptible? So I have a theory. Because they can eat literally anything and derive some kind of nutrient extraction from it. Mm. I feel like maybe they're taken out a lot more. They're better at metabolizing nutrients. Ooh. So maybe with the nicotine... They just, it affects them because they seem to get more nicotine out of a little bit of nicotine. That's pretty smart. Yeah. You seem like a guy who's hankering for a promotion. Well, I mean, <laughs> wouldn't mind being a lieutenant one, lieutenant one day. Yeah, one day. One day. Yeah. <laughs> We've got three more episodes of the Orville to get through for this well, season. So three more episodes. I'm going places, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have my own ship one day. One day. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this relationship a little bit and mm. how we felt about the idea of Gordon forming a love bond with mm. this woman. <laughs> it's a love bond. You're such a romantic dude. I really am. <laughs> Look out, ladies. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so when you form a love bond, apparently all it takes is a video of a cute girl on a phone mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. That simulator is very realistic, though. Now, do you find it creepy or romantic? Mm, a little from column A, a little from column B. I mostly just found it creepy. Mm. It's pretty creepy, but yeah. I mean, I guess that speaks to your own sort of ideas of what is real and what isn't. Now, also, something that I was hoping the episode would delve into a little bit more than it did, because it treated the storyline just as a pure romance. He just fell in love. But the, well, at least the impression I've got from having seen like as much of the Orville as we have now is that Gordon's a very lonely guy. And I wish they actually really played into that a little bit more where, you know, Gordon's options are maybe limited. And so this is like him investing more into it than he probably would if he had more of an active social life. Well, I mean, he did invest more than, into it than 
than he should have because she wasn't real. No, but the show never really sort of delved into mm. the motivations and psychology as to why he was that invested in the girl. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when, when you saw him watching the video on the phone, you could peg it from a mile away that he was no. going to fall for her. And mm. even if he doesn't need to address it himself, but rather you've got the rest, like you've got Ed and Kelly of whom were, you know, brought into the storyline for a short while. If it was just one of them recognizing, saying, hey, look, you know, he's a really lonely guy. You know, mm. is there a way we can sort of help him out with this? Like, that would be some sort of acknowledgement as to what's going on. But that didn't really seem to exist within what we saw in the episode. Yeah, well, I think Gordon's one of those characters that I'm actually starting to really like because we saw a lot of him last episode and we saw a lot of him this episode. And I think there's still... You found him unlikable previously? No, I didn't. I thought he was a funny dude, but I thought <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. And I think, like, it, it goes to your thing. A lot of people who are often pretty funny use their humor as a little fence or, you know, to just deflect or that kind of thing. Mm. You can definitely see that happening with someone like Gordon. So, yeah. But at the same time, maybe that's why he fell so easily in love with Laura Huggins. Yeah. Also, after last week's episode where there was that moment between Ed and Gordon, they were talking about how they're best friends and everything, I just thought the way Ed handled it this week was a bit interesting. He was very cold and he didn't really, yeah, as you say, Dan, yeah, he didn't yeah. really try to unpack it or, like, figure out why this was happening. He was feel, just kind of very Yeah, you're right. I think I think cool. actually Lamar was far more for, yeah. there for Gordon than, than Ed was. Yeah, definitely. That was strange. Yeah. And there was that whole confrontation in the mess hall and it was all very sad. Maybe it was just, uh, you know, the exoticism of seeing someone from 400 years ago. Mm. Well, I mean, that's it as well. So we have heard in a previous episode, he was saying he's got an affinity for music from the 1970s, I think it was. Yeah. You know, it yeah. kind of fits. Um, speaking of music, there was the club, which, what's her name? Laura Huggins had referred to as a hole-in-the-wall club. <laughs> but the actual club, as depicted within the simulation, was really quite a extensively nice bar. Yeah, it was a proper pub. Because I've been in some hole-in-the-walls. That was not a hole in the wall. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't crazy about her music. I found it a bit derivative. But I mean, it was 2015, so. I mean, that's Snap. true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you say derivative. I just say downright awful. Oh, I mean, I'm trying to be nice. That <laughs> was pretty hacky. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I, I feel like she really, she warmed to him a lot quicker than I would have expected her to. Because this is the second time we've seen Gordon flirt. And the first time he resorted to eight zippers on his jacket, this time he seemed a lot more natural, but still not, definitely not some kind of Casanova character. But also realise that she is a simulation and she's a simulation that's been created by Gordon. We've only started really learning how this sort of simulator device works. Like, I think all three of us were surprised to find out that the simulation doesn't end in the room, but rather you can communicate with the simulation which is ongoing through the mobile phone mm. that he had. Yeah. But he's pausing the simulator all the time. So he's like, pause, and then he exits the room. And then somehow he still had a functioning phone that was sending and receiving texts and calls from Laura. It's very strange. It could just be that his direct engagement with the room is paused at that moment, mm -hmm. but it continues on outside of... That's impressive. Because he did come back at different points in her, you know, life. Yeah. And yeah. It was a week later or... Yeah. But sorry, I thought that I wanted to get to was that it's Gordon that's created the simulation. So therefore he may have like tweaked it a little bit or maybe his relationship with the simulator is advanced to the point that the simulator actually knows what he wants. Mm. And so oh. we're seeing the storyline now of him falling for this girl on the phone. But it could well be that Gordon's had very similar like scenarios created 
in the same way that Bordas was using it for his sexual gratification. His sex lagoon. Ma- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And who created the sex lagoon? Yeah. Who created it? Mm-hmm. But it could well be that Gordon does this sort of semi-regularly and uses the simulator as a way to fill that emotional void that he fills. Man, yeah. you're making Gordon so sad for me. Yeah. But I think he is a, just a sad character. Yeah, he's a little. Gosh. Well, it can't be that sad, right? He's best friends with the captain. And he's good chums with Lamar. Maybe that's and- why he's such a, like, he's a pilot, like, you know, a reckless yeah. sort of adrenaline junkie because... Because he's got nothing to live for. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Man, why are we doing this to Gordon? I actually really <laughs> like the guy. But he's cool. Yeah, I, I mean, see, this is the, this is one thing that came up was, is Laura Huggins real? Because she's based off, I guess, what is one of the probably most complete um, summarizations of a character, which is a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And that's what the simulator is based off. But the moment that, and I think it was um, Kelly who said this. Is the second you started editing her world, it became unreal. Ooh, yes. So, yeah, you, you, you're very right. It was kind of tailored to Gordon. It was kind of his simulator. Yeah, so it makes sense to me that she would fall for him as easily as she did because that's how the simulation's supposed to work in this instance. Yeah, it was really interesting. I like that whole aspect of this episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, generally I found a little bit sort of creepy watching it and it really got me thinking a lot more about the ethics as to what was going on in this simulation room. So what sort of responsibility do we have as people looking back to the past and creating the past? So you think about, I was trying to think about what's different about creating a simulation like this versus us looking at, say, the writings of George Washington and then having someone reenact George Washington and all that. And I think it's the volume of information and data that you're inputting here. Mm. So we've got actually got a fairly, what I believe is a fairly accurate representation of this woman. And so you can create her world and it really becomes a fully realized thing as opposed to a caricature, Mm -hmm. which is largely what we'd be able to create in the modern day. But this is a lot more sophisticated using just a lot more points of data. Yeah. I I think it'd be great. Like um, at the moment, the way people study history is they have to apply lenses through which to look at the same sources and they sort of discuss different ways of looking at the same thing. And it's all very relative. But something like this would allow you to go back in time effectively and like observe it. You don't have to involve yourself, but just to be there as kind of like an anthropologist would be awesome. As soon as you involve yourself, though, like yeah. I think the ethics, because I think you've got a responsibility to the data of the person. And so you're kind of abusing them to a certain degree when because it's not really them. It's a echo of them. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you're still, I don't know, it, there's something very creepy about it. There's always going to be that in any kind of academic pursuit. Like, yeah. How do we get to modern medicine? We did some pretty creepy stuff. True. Yep. This is such a serious Orville land, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So do we want to move the conversation on a little bit to talking more broadly about the responsibility that we have to our digital selves, like, post-death? Oh, we might cheer things up. Straight to mortality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I can, we can do that. Okay, let, let's delve in. Uh, Sid, I believe in your bid to move on from Ensign to, uh, mm. you know, entry-level lieutenant, you did a bit of research this week and you've delved into the world of, you know, digital memorials. Yeah, well, I think about mortality a lot. Yeah. Um, and Why? Any- Why are you so bleak? Why are you so dark? I'm not. I'm not. It's Be more just- like Shelly. Look at her. She's Hi. got red hair. She's smiling. <laughs> Red hairs do have more fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm just deflecting. I, I fear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. Still in a front. <laughs> no, well, I was thinking about it because it is really interesting. Like the, the title of the episode is Lasting Impressions. And it, there's actually something really lovely about the fact that Laura Huggins managed to crystallize some aspect of herself and she could interact with a future race. Like that's actually really lovely. Mm. And 
I think at the end of the episode, you kind of got that little bit where she was like, you know, I'd love to be remembered for something. It doesn't have to be for something massive, but that's why I do music. And so I think that was actually really nice. So mortality is not all grim, guys. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. And actually, um, when you think about it, it started happening. It's moved into the digital space, like Facebook in 2015 gave us legacy contacts. So basically someone who can uh, manage your page or memorialize it after you're gone. Have any of us ever come across a memorialized page? Well, I ride motorbikes and a lot of my friends do, so yes. Okay, so you have. So with a memorialized page, because I haven't come across one, so I've got friends who have passed away, but their pages have never been actually memorialized by Facebook. As far as I'm aware, Facebook have no idea that these people have passed, rather they just presume they've stopped logging in. But you can still post their pages? Yeah, you can. So you can still do that with a memorialized page? Yeah, so basically what happens is it says above their name, it says remembering. Yeah. And people do actually post. There was a a scholar from the University of Hull, uh, Joe Bell, who wrote a paper about this, about the fact that actually a lot of people do post regularly to loved ones who've passed away, saying, oh, I visited you today. They're great, but whatever. Yeah. Or it's your birthday, happy birthday, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So in a way, their memory kind of lives on. And it's a way for people to sort of you know, come to terms with that grief, but also keep that memory alive. And it's mm. actually apparently quite helpful for people. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because Facebook is something that we engage with in a regular basis. So there's a sense of learned behavior and a normalization of that behavior. Mm. So if you're only engaging with, you know, your loved one who's passed on by going to visit their grave, it's not actually really a true representation as to how you may have actually engaged with them as part of life. No, no. You know, oh, no people- I'm just saying it's a nice thing that mm, you're able mm, to maintain like mm, that sort of a relationship. Yeah. And I guess having that one place for photos and that kind of thing is important as well. It's nothing as comprehensive as Laura Huggins. But this no. is a few decades. Yeah. A few decades. A lot of decades in the future. <laughs> here's where it gets interesting. So a, a guy called Marius Erstash from MIT um, has started working on a program, started working on it a few years ago called Attorney Me. Um, mm-hmm. which essentially, and it's got like four forty thousand 40,000 subscribers or something, people who've signed up to it. And what it does is it looks at all your messages, all your like Facebook history, uh, all that kind of stuff. And it tries to create through an algorithm, a chat bot that mimics your mannerisms <gasps> and mimics the way you speak and mimics the way you chat so that oh. after you've passed away, some kind of version of you can still text oh, your dear. loved ones. Oh, so dear. two things. One sounds exactly like what they've done in this episode. Exactly. But in yeah. a less sophisticated manner. Yep. Because you don't have, you know, holograms. But also there's a Black Mirror episode which does that exact same thing. Mm. Yeah. You just ripped off a Black Mirror episode. Everything is a Black Mirror episode. I think I've said that already today, Dan. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, and again, there's there's there are Black Mirror episodes which aren't as grim, like um San Junipero, which everybody loves. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm. It's a really lovely episode. Yeah, where basically uh, elderly people get to relive um, their younger years as avatars of themselves in this 80s town called San Junipero. And it's actually a really, really heartwarming episode. So, hey, maybe there is a way to create heaven on earth. Ooh, but I see what you did there. <laughs> didn't we mention a few episodes ago that there is the potential for chatbots to kind of go rogue? So remember that chatbot? (laughs) You were talking about the uh, Tay-Tay Twitter account. Yes. That's absolutely right. The racist chatbot. What if your granddad signs up to attorney me (laughs) and then starts messaging you with Nazi propaganda? (laughs) Yeah. So just like granddad's really still alive. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Terrifying. Mm. Yeah. It's a really interesting idea. It's an interesting concept. mm. Yeah. Well, this kind of episode, there are other sort of developments that have come out that I 
found, which are even more interesting. So like MIT and a few other universities have started offering courses in connectonomics, which is basically the study of how your neural networks form connections in your brain. And the reason for that is they're trying to find out how we think and whether they can emulate that thinking, essentially downloading your brain into an emulator so that your consciousness can live on. Wow. Yeah. And the question I always have with that, though, is like once it's downloaded your consciousness, does that consciousness disappear from your human brain as well? Well, Is there necessarily a clear thing or is it replicated your human brain? Well, I assume it'd be trying to replicate it, right? Mm. Because it would be, I mean... See, I like the idea of being able to live on, but the thing is that I would be maintaining my continuity in my brain and there would just be like Dan who You could do all your work for you. Doing whatever. You'd make general in no time. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just like, it just feels like I'd be replicating a part of me, but I would continue to live on. Yeah. And so it wouldn't really be like I'd be living forever, which is ideally what I'm looking for in life <laughs> and death. But essentially it's, you know, it's just, I've given birth to, you know, one of the greatest things in the world, which is another me. <laughs> you are God, truly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure about the details of how that would work, but they have been able to basically uh, start to emulate something as small as a, a mouse's brain. Um, wow. Yeah, so pretty crazy. Yeah. And recently, like in 2011, they actually created a prosthetic hippocampus, which is basically this little tiny part of your brain in the middle of your brain that is works with your memory and your spatial navigation skills and all that kind of stuff. And they have implanted it in humans last year, actually. And humans who had this little implant like did 37% better on memory tests. Whoa. So the fact that they can now sort of, under- they understand enough about your brain to realize what makes memories last, mm. which is what this thing does. It kind of corrects the neurons firing when they're making memories. Right. The fact that they can do that means, hey, maybe we will get to that point where we can upload our brains into some kind of supercomputer and Whoa. live in a simulation. And we could all be Laura Huggins. Wow. Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't it? But also scary. <laughs> well... So this reminds me of in the last couple of years, we've seen the rise of a number of uh, musicians of whom are going back on the road despite the fact that they're dead. So there was recently Amy Winehouse was announced as a multi-city tour going around the country in the US. I think it actually may have been a world tour from memory. Uh, They cancelled it not too long ago, so it never actually went ahead. But Mm -hmm. it was a hologram, Amy Winehouse, who'd be performing Winehouse's best-known tracks and be like Mm -hmm. a performance. And so they've been talking about this with like a few different artists. Yeah, um, Roy Orbison was, I was at the, say Orbison, yeah. in Sydney recently. I was very tempted to go. Did they actually do that here? Yeah. Wow. Pretty sure it was at the State Theatre. Oh, it's possible. Yeah, it sounded amazing. But yeah, it does kind of toe that interesting line, I mean, we watch, we watch them on YouTube. We watch them yeah, on Yeah, exactly DVDs. right. Yeah. So as long as you're not programming it to do something out of character or something that he, he or she didn't necessarily do. But this is that ethical obligation we have to our dead. Yeah, Mm, it's re- really interesting. I mean, yeah. they got Tupac to rap with Snoop Dogg. That's right. Remember that? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. But Tupac's not really dead, guys. Neither is Jim Morrison nor Elvis. Whoa. Yeah. Just <laughs> upload them Spoon. to your simulator. It'll be fine. <laughs> I honestly believe one of those three is dead. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, don't harsh. Harsh my buzz down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would, I would. would go see a hologram I just out of yeah. curiosity. Because, mm, like, what's the difference just playing it on video screen? Yeah. 
It's just a 3D version of that, right? And it'd be, yeah, I guess so. Maybe? I don't know. It'd also be really interesting to see how the hologram reacts with the rest of the band or how the rest of the band react with them. Well, see, this is what the difference is. So when you're watching it on something that you watched on YouTube or Mm. um, like the other week, I watched the Elvis 1968 comeback special. Oh, awesome. Because, you know, I'm a cool guy and it's the sort of thing I get up to at night. (laughs) But I watched that and it was a recording of him. So it's him making active choices as a performer and, you know, what he's doing. And so... That's captured forever, something that he actually did. Whereas something with the hologram was not necessarily something that he did, but rather it's taking on a new form and new actions. And so if there's a band on stage, he's engaging with that band who's presumably alive and not a hologram in a different mm. way. So therefore you've given life to a Elvis replication. Yeah. Okay, but it's not strictly watching an Elvis Surely it's not actually reacting in real time because the kind of special effects to man that in the concert halls around the world. That's quite a lot of... Well, here's the thing. I would say in 2000... What are we, in 19? Yeah. In 2019, (laughs) it's probably a little bit sophisticated. But once this technology evolves, like one or two generations, like that's actually really quite feasible. Wow. So something we'll have to consider when we're buying concert tickets in how many years, did you say? 20 years? Yeah. You think that's where we're at? I'm wondering, because we're talking about bringing back the dead, but Mm. I'm also wondering that if you just want to go and see Beck, who's very much alive, if he doesn't want to go touring, like, why can't he send that hologram him around the place? Such a good point. They've kind of dabbled with virtual reality concerts where people can stick on the um, Oculus or the Vive Mm -hmm. or whatever they have, Google Cardboard, if you you can't shell out a few hundred. Um, (laughs) And you can have like this, you can go and make a watching party with your friends and see the band and there's like a couple of different camera points yeah so and i've done that it's yeah. an interesting experience is it? yeah yeah it's not it's not as uh, fully realized as you'd want but this is still early generation yeah tech, so. yeah i think we're we're getting there still the mm. future's still coming anyway this episode of the orville it's given us a lot to talk about yeah 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 it truly has now <laughs> if you want to keep the conversation going we're all on social media okay use the hashtag orville land and you know the conversation will flow yeah yeah uh, alternatively, if you just want to communicate with us individually, we're out there on various social medias. This is me wrapping up the podcast. I appreciate it and segue clearly into an exit here. Okay, but we're doing this. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. I think people it's know. People the, listeners, the, yeah. the listeners know. They faded out. They lost interest in the podcast at least five minutes ago. It got too like, grim. And then they just tuned back in going, oh, it's the Empire. <laughs> yeah, they didn't hear that. You need like those segue. sweet um, Instagram handles. Absolutely, but yeah, yeah you're on Instagram, Shelley, right? I am. Uh, it's at underscore Hellbells with a Z underscore. Sid Sharma, mm-hmm. you've got a magician Instagram name. I do have a magician Instagram name. It is at Amraz A M R A H S. That's my magician name. Indeed, because it's your name backwards. Mm, like exactly. Zatanna. Very clever. Magical. Mm. Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barris on all your social platforms. Now, you're probably listening to us on a podcast device right now. It's probably connected to the internet. While you're listening to us, pull that phone out, go to like the app that you're using, leave a review for this podcast, just give us some stars, like that's all we want. Some words would be nice, Mm -hmm. but you know, just a star rating and let people know what you think of the podcast, Mm. as long as it's five stars and no less. Because that's what we deserve. That's exactly Maybe. it. I mean, we've put in the work. We have. We've brought notes. Yeah. Now <laughs> speak for yourselves. <laughs> anyway, guys, this has been a overly prepared Orville land. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. You can find the Orville every week on SBS Viceland, nine o'clock Friday nights. And also it's on demand. Season one's there. Season two's there. The new episodes as they drop on a Friday afternoon, you'll find the episodes before that's right. it's on proper TV. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Get streaming, guys. Get streaming. Mm. Now, Sid, we have an announcement to make. We do. Which is that there's no Orville next week. There is no Orville next week. And um, I think the week after that. Yes, but that might change. So I'm hesitant to give any concrete information there. Okay, so as we speak, we definitely know it's not on next week. Definitely not on next week. But uh, keep an eye on the guide. Have a look at your EPG. And uh, have a look on demand. It, it will be dropping. There's a few episodes still to come. Yeah. And rest assured that if an Orville land is in your podcast feed, it means that there's an episode to watch at SBS On Demand. Mm. Yeah. Guys, that's it. We're out of here. Thank you very much for listening. And we will talk to you next week or the week after or whenever there's the next Orville episode. That's right. Bye.